Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter number one. Ephesians chapter number one. Uh, we finish off our study, our survey of John last Sunday, and uh, it was a it was a blessing to go through John. Now we're going to pick up in Ephesians, and we're going to travel through that book. And uh, it, the epistle of the to the Ephesians is uh, a little bit less personal than other epistles that uh, Paul wrote, and uh, there's a major focus on major doctrine. And the first half of the book is really the key concept is being in Christ. And then the last three chapters are more practical and with the emphasis on our Christian walk. And I thought that would be a great thing to study in our church uh, as we go forward in 2021 about that Christian walk and being in Christ uh, as we go forward for the Lord in a really uncertain time. And uh, we need to be in Christ. If we're going to live that victorious Christian life, we need to be in Christ. So Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for this time to be in your word. And Lord, I pray that you help us to glean great truths from this book of Ephesians, Lord. Help us to be in you. Help us to be saints alive. Lord, in a time when there's so much discouragement and fear, help us to have that vibrant faith, and people will see that we are different, and it's because of you. Lord, I pray you bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. We probably all have met individuals who are misners. You know, just the idea they're super cheap. You know, they just don't, they never want to part with their money. And I know I've come across a few, but a lady I read about recently really takes the epitome, if you want to say takes the cake on this, is a lady by the name of Hetty Green. Now, she has been dead for over 100 years. She, uh, when she passed away, she is estimated she left a estate of $100 million in 1916. That's a lot of money now. Back then, that was even more. It was a crazy amount of money. Uh, she ate cold oatmeal because it cost too much to heat it up. Uh, her son suffered a leg amputation because she delayed so long in looking for a free clinic that by the time she got to one, his case was incurable. She was wealthy, yet she lived like a pauper. Eccentric and a whole lot of crazy, in my opinion, is this lady. Uh, nobody could prove she was crazy clinically. Uh, she was so foolish about and, and love her Meisner, her money and things. Uh, she brought on her own death. She became so angry, uncontrolled anger. She caused her early death arguing over the value of drinking skim milk. Can you believe that? She, she, she died from that. It's unbelievable. Sadly, Hetty Green is an illustration of way too many Christian believers today. Not that we have $100 million in the bank, but we have limitless wealth at our disposal through Jesus Christ. But so often, as Christians, we live like paupers. And that's the kind of church that Paul was writing to, to the Ephesian church. He wanted them to be alive. Not to you know, live in poverty in Christ, but to live in his riches. 
So some things uh, as we get started in this series, we see the writer in verse number one. He says who he is. It's Paul. Paul's writing. And some names in history we identify immediately. I can think, I love history, so you could say some names like, oh, I know that person. I know the situation uh, that they were in. And Paul is definitely one of those in church history. His original name was Saul. You can find that in Acts 7.58. And since he was from the tribe of Benjamin, he's most likely given that name after the first king of Israel because Saul, the first king, was from the Benjamin tribe. Uh, Unlike his namesake, though, Saul of Tarsus was obedient, and he served the Lord. As a devoted teacher, before his salvation, Saul became the leader of the anti-Christian movement in Jerusalem. You find record of that in Acts chapter 9 and in Galatians chapter 1. But in the midst of this activity of persecuting the church, persecuting Christians, Saul was confronted by Christ and was converted. That was found in Acts chapter 9, verse 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shone round about him a light from heaven. Saul then became Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. While he was ministering in the church in Antioch, he... uh, He was called, and he obeyed the call of the Holy Spirit to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, Barnabas helped him at first, and there's other uh, individuals who helped him in that pursuit. Uh, The book of Acts records for us three amazing missionary journeys that Paul went through in the Roman Empire. And uh, the year 53 AD is from what we can see is when Paul first arrived in the city of Ephesus. He didn't remain there that too long that time, that's recorded for us in Acts chapter 18. But a few years later, about two years later, while on his third missionary journey, Paul stayed in Ephesus for at least two years and saw the area greatly evangelized for Jesus Christ. Uh, Sunday nights, we've been going through the churches in Revelation, and Ephesus was the very first church that we looked at. And the other six churches mentioned in Revelation had been thought to have been planted by the church plant or by the church in Ephesus, that church in Ephesus had a great uh, outreach. So it's thought that these other six were started by the ministry of Ephesus. And during these years, while Paul was there, he founded a strong church in that city, and that that city was dedicated to the worship of the goddess Diana. And for a description of the ministry there, you can find the opposition to him in Acts chapter 19, and then you read about the ministry there in Acts chapter 20, a a vibrant church. It was about 10 years later, since he was there for two years, that Paul writes this letter to his beloved friends in the church. At this time, Paul was a prisoner in Rome. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, uh, for you Gentiles. That's found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. He wanted to share with these believers the great truths the Lord had taught him about Christ and the church. He was laying it out there. So this letter was written uh, from Rome, 62, 64 AD, somewhere in around there. Uh, I saw 62, 64. So let's just say between those two years. Or those, yeah, those two years. Uh, though Paul was on trial, because that's why he was in prison in Rome at this time, he still was concerned about the spiritual needs of the churches that he had founded. He was very... Uh, 
sincere to the calling that God had given him as an epistle, one sent out with a commission, and he was looking to encourage and build them up in the faith. So that was his desire. That was his goal. So we see uh, some interesting things here as well about the congregation. Uh, so Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God to the saints, which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Saints, are you surprised that Paul used a letter, uh, used this letter and addressing it to the saints? You know, after all, we're told by Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, Anglicans, Lutherans, the saints are dead people who have achieved such spiritual heights that have been given this special title of a saint. That's, that's what's propagated around our world today. Probably no word in the New Testament has been more removed from its original purpose than the word saint. Even the de- definition in the dictionary calls a saint a person officially recognized for holiness of life. Uh, who, who makes this official recognition? This is how it goes. Usually some religious body has a process by which a person becomes a saint and then is technically become canonization of that individual. The deceased person, they have to be deceased most times. They have to be deceased. And the person's life is examined to see whether he or she qualifies for sainthood. If the candidate's character and conduct are found to be above reproach, and he's been responsible for at least two miracles, then he or she is qualified to be made a saint. Now, I have read the Bible through many times since I've come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Actually, I read the Bible before it was saved, too. And I have found no procedure authorized in the Bible, as I just stated. That is definitely a man-made procedure and design. Nine times in this brief letter, Paul addresses the readers as saints. Nine times. It's only got, what, six, six chapters? And these saints are alive. He wasn't writing a letter to dead people. Okay, these were people who were alive. Now, they are alive... Uh, no longer dead in their trespasses and sins, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 talks about. And, and it's clear that they never uh, did any, performed any miracles, though they had experienced a miracle by trusting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The word saint is simply one of the many terms used in the New Testament to describe one who's trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. The person alive, not only physically, but also spiritually. You know, the Christians were referred to other ways, too, um, in the New Testament. Uh, first, in, well, all these are in Acts. Uh, disciples, Acts chapter 9, uh, numerous places in, in Acts chapter 9, they're referred to as disciples. Then they're referred to then the people of the way in Acts chapter 9. And in Acts chapter 9, they're referred to as saints. So there's numerous descriptions of Christians. And the word saint means one who's been set apart. And that's a word as related to being sanctified, set apart. Uh, when a sinner trusts Christ as Savior, he is taken out of the world and placed in Christ. Uh, the believer is in a physical world. There's no doubt. I'm here in the physical realm, but we're not of the world, but we are of the spiritual world. John chapter 17 talks about it. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Uh, so back in May, May 30th of 2020, they sent uh, two men to the space station uh, 
in a new rocket system called SpaceX, and it was a big deal. Uh, my son Matthew really wanted to see it, and so I remember going outside with him with our little telescope trying to uh, see uh, the, the rocket. That, that didn't work out, but uh, we were trying to look up there and see if we could see it. And, uh, you know, these two men, these astronauts, you know, they didn't travel to the space station in their, their Hawaiian shirts and their, uh, and, their sh- and their shorts. No, they went prepared. When they went out on a spacewalk, they existed in a dangerous and alien environment because they possessed a special equipment to do it, the spacesuit. Pretty, pretty neat-looking spacesuits, too. Uh, they were able to live that way. In our case, as Christians, we are equipped with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God to help us live in this world. That's, that, that is part of his responsibility to us to help us live. Every true believer, everyone who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, possesses the Holy Spirit. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. It's through the Spirit's power that the Christian is able to function in the world. It's through his enablement. We can do it. Now, it's a good question for us. How did these people at Ephesus become saints? The answer is found in two words, faithful and grace. We already saw that. And to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you. And peace from our God and from, uh, from the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul addresses his letter to the saints and faithful in Christ, Jesus, he's now addressing two different groups here. The word faithful carries the meaning of believers in Christ Jesus. These people are were not saved by living faithful lives. Hey, that's a a teaching that's very popular amongst many churches today, that if you are faithful, if you're a good person, you'll make it. But that's not what the Word of God says. These these people were not making it by being faithful lives. Rather, they had put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and they were saved. Now they were living faithfully for Christ, or at least attempting to, and the Holy Spirit was helping them do that. That's clear from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 and 14. And Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the work of his mighty power? The word grace is used 12 times in this book to the Ephesians. And it refers to the kindness of God toward undeserving people. Grace and mercy are often found together in the Bible. And they certainly belong together in the experience of salvation as well. Grace and faith go together because the only way to experience grace and salvation is through faith. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We don't do it on our own. We don't make it on our own. We make it as believers because we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The faith, we place our faith in him. The phrase, in Christ Jesus, is used 27 times in this letter. It's only six chapters. That's a lot of times. It describes uh, the spiritual position of the believer. He's identified with Christ. He is in Christ and therefore is able to draw the supply and the wealth of Christ for his own daily living. That should be a massive encouragement to you and to me today as believers that we have access to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Creator. We have access to Him. We we can get to Him, and He will provide for us and sustain us. 
And we see the aim of the book here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Now, each book of the Bible has a theme, uh, a special message as such uh, that they're dealing with. Though there might be other topics that are looked at and examined throughout the chapters of those books. Here's an example. Genesis is the book of beginnings. Matthew is a book of the kingdom. The book of Ephesians, its theme is the Christian's riches in Christ Jesus. The origin of our blessings, blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father has made us rich in Jesus Christ. When you were born again into God's family, the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are born rich. Through Christ, you share in the riches of God's grace. I'm going to read you some verses. uh, That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Never take for granted God's grace. God's glory. Ephesians 3.16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Do we not need the strengthening of by his spirit in the inner man so we can glorify God? God's mercy. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love worth, he loved us. I am so glad for God's mercy. I do not deserve it. Neither do you, but God is rich in his mercy. And unsearchable riches of Christ, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Our Heavenly Father is not poor. He is rich and has made us rich in his Son. So Jeff Bezos is the richest man on the planet today. And uh, he is estimated net worth is one, uh, $186.6 billion. I have to say I helped him out a little bit in 2020 to get to that number. Uh, we probably all have if you ordered anything off Amazon. Uh, if you took the top 10 billionaires in our world today and combined all their net worth, it would come in at $1.1 trillion. That's a lot of money. There are almost 3,000 billionaires in our world. Yet all this wealth, and it is a lot, Yet all this wealth is but pennies when compared with the spiritual wealth we have in Christ. In this letter, Paul explains to us what these riches are and how we may draw on them to live that effective, vital faith, you know, that victorious Christian living. We need it today. I mean, you look outside and you see people uh, walking around, uh, they are often downtrodden, uh, they're, they're feeling the effects of this uh, coronavirus, whatever, and, and other things in their life. Corona just makes it worse because the other problems are still there. And they're walking around looking for meaning and purpose when we have it. And we need to live that way and show them that Christ is the way, the truth, and the light. The capacity of our blessing. We have all spiritual blessings there in verse number 3. And that's referring to the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, God promised his earthly people, Israel, material blessing as a reward for for their obedience. And you can find that in Deuteronomy chapter number 28. Today, he promises to supply our needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4.19. 
He does not promise to shield us from poverty, poor, being poor, pain. That, that, that flies, that truth flies in the face of all these prosperity preachers today. The Father has given us every blessing of the Spirit and everything we need for a successful, satisfying Christian life. The reality is the spiritual is far more important than the material. Now, I understand we need a place to live, we need food, and, and we, you know I understand those needs, but the spiritual is more important than the physical, than the material. We see the sphere of our blessings. Our blessings are in heavenly places in Christ. Uh, that's the last part of verse number three. The unsaved person is interested and invested primarily in earthly things. That's, that's where their mind is going to be because that's where he lives. That is his focus or her focus. Jesus calls them the children of this world in Luke chapter 6, verse 18. The Christian, an individual who's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, is to have a life that's centered on heaven. This earth's not our home. And I don't know about you, but after 2020, that has just been so much more revealed and solidified. The world's a mess. Our heaven is, our, 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 our home is heaven, and we look forward to it. Our citizenship, hey, I, I'm proud to be from Canada. I don't like everything's going on, but I, I'm proud of the citizenship. But the greatest citizenship I have is in heaven. Philippians 3.24, our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where my citizenship is in. And my citizenship is for eternity. My citizenship here in Canada, you know, as long as I live. His name is written in heaven. Luke chapter 10.20, that's referring to a Christian. It's, it's written in heaven. Uh, his Father is in heaven. My Heavenly Father is in heaven right now, and, and His attention, attention and affection is, is towards me, but I need to be making sure that I'm following Him. And, and as an individual believer, I need to be centering my thoughts on Jesus Christ. It's pretty easy to get our eyes off the Lord. Colossians 3.1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek ye those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, the heavenly places, describes where Jesus Christ is right now. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, I already read it for you. And where the believer is to be seated with him, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, and he raises up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, another uh, reference in Ephesians talks about the battles we fight are not in the flesh and blood, but are in high places against uh, satanic powers. The, the Christian really operates in two spheres, the human and the divine, the visible and the invisible. Physically, he's on earth in a human body, but spiritually, he's seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's what we just read in Ephesians chapter 2. And the heavenly sphere is the one that provides the power, and it should provide us the direction for our earthly walk, though sometimes we can get that askewed. You know, the Prime Minister of Canada is not always seated at his desk at the PMO, but that executive chair represents the fear of his life and power. No matter where he is, he is the Prime Minister because only he has the, pro uh, the, the privilege of sitting at that desk. Likewise, the Christian, no matter 
where he or she may be on this earth, he or she is seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ, and on that basis we have access to the power for life through Christ. When she was young, Victoria was shielded from the fact that she would be the next ruling monarch of England, the empire, lest this knowledge spoil her. When her teacher finally did let her discover for herself that she would one day be queen, her first response, Victoria's first response is, then I will be a good queen. Queen Victoria was only four foot eleven, very short lady. But no matter where she was, she was a towering presence. She restored the reputation of the empire. Victoria was governed by the fact that she sat on the throne of England and she was a good queen no matter where she went. The fact, we need to remember that no matter where we go, we are Christians. And we need to be good Christians. We need to give that testimony to others that we live for Christ. Paul was writing about wealth. And that should be um, a little intriguing for you. And it's significant because Ephesus, and it would have caught the eye of the believers there, Ephesus was considered the bank of Asia. Uh, one of the seven wonders of the world was there. The temple, great temple Diana was there in Ephesus. There was, it was not only a center for idolatrous worship, but it was also a place of great wealth. Banks, great banking system. There was in that temple, the art of the world was, tre- uh, was treasured there. Uh, magnificent building. And, and Paul would compare the church of Christ to a temple and explain that the great wealth that Christ has in his church. Paul was uh, using, looking towards the riches, and he, he would refer to financial words like inheritance and fullness or being full numerous times throughout this epistle. Now, this letter was penned by Paul, but it was the Lord's message. Paul was the penman. And it was a message to the church in Ephesus, the day it re- they received it, and it's a message for us of Legacy Baptist Church this morning. Now, the greatest question and the greatest decision you have to make is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is the greatest decision. The church of Ephesus was serious about folks coming to know Jesus Christ. They, they spread the word. I mean, they helped start six, we believe, at least six other churches. They were serious about it. And Legacy Baptist Church wants and desires folks to come to Christ. And we want all people to know Christ as Savior. And if you're watching us and you don't, please accept Christ as Savior. If you haven't come to that place yet, you haven't made that decision, I would urge you to make that decision for Christ. As Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You're never going to get to heaven on your own on your good works, you're you're a good moral person, that's wonderful, you pay your taxes, that's great, you're nice to uh, old ladies and those who have needs, that's great, that's wonderful, but those deeds do not get you to heaven as accepting Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Christian, are you alive in Christ today? Is your faith vibrant? Is your faith impacting the lives of others? Are you demonstrating grace, faith, and mercy. We see trouble, we see fighting, we see conflict all around us. 
You don't need to turn the TV on or get on Instagram or wherever, see the news, and we see all those things. Are you bringing grace and peace to situations? We need our church to be a congregation of believers indeed alive in Christ. Will you be counted among that number, believer? Will you demonstrate in a day that's so needed a good Christian testimony to those around us, indeed alive in Christ? Dear Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this book of Ephesus. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage us to know you, to be alive in you as believers, Lord. There's so much we can get our eyes on and drift away from the truth, but help us to be plugged into the power. Help us uh, to continuously desire to serve you and to serve you well. Lord, help us. And Lord, I pray that you will be with any who don't know you as Savior this morning who might be watching. Lord, I pray that indeed they would place their faith and trust in you. Oh, Lord, help us to be a church in a day where there is so much uncertainty and conflict, to be a church that holds up the banner of Christ, that is a lighthouse to those around us. I pray, Lord, you encourage our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen.